The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is now going for the green with Daily Roto. Welcome to Going for the Green on the Fantasy Sports Network. I'm Mike Leone here with Colin Drew of DailyRoto.com bringing you this week's DFS Golf Show. And Colin, before we get into a couple of events this week, we've got the WGC match play, we've got the Corrales Championship as well in Punta Cana. Let's talk about last week at Bay Hill where... Uh, another really fun week of golf. We had a bunch of the top golfers up top. You know, Stenson had a lead going into the final round. Rory McIlroy ended up winning. Tiger played well. Justin Rose was up there. Uh, it was. It made you think like the Masters is going to be really, really fun this year, especially with seeing Tiger back. Seeing Rory play well was fun because he hasn't played well, at least on a PGA Tour event. It feels like it's been longer than it probably has just because of some bias there. But Rory wins. He was really strong tee to green. He was super strong tee to green in this event the year before, too. I think he actually led in tee to green. Big difference was uh, he didn't putt at that well last year when he led in tee to green, still had a top five finish. This year, he putts really, really well and ends up winning the event. And that just reminds us of how much variance there is in putting week to week. Yeah, it was definitely pretty crazy. And I'm fired up for all the golf events, but especially the Masters. Um, just with Tiger now showing remarkable consistency, I think he's gained strokes in every round over his past few events. So not just on the event in total, but on a round level, which is uh, – pretty unheard of i know nelson on twitter you can follow him uh he tweeted something out with some of the other streaks and tiger's got the longest active streak right now as far as gaining strokes uh i I think the fade probably still had merit despite the strong finish i kind of went a lot of swings up and down i ended up a down week for me overall um but a lot of swings as far as the tiger fade itself you know felt like an idiot right when he teed off and then felt brilliant for a little bit and then by the end, I think it was net neutral, but I think it still had some merit despite his strong finish. It definitely did because if you full faded him, you were much more likely to get the winner and the second place guy in the tournament. Uh, him passing Stenson hurt though for sure uh, on the Tiger fade side, and that's the flip side of it. If you're looking at more like min cash equity type stuff, if you had a lot of Tiger teams, you know you had a lot of teams that were going to put up decent scores uh, and maybe even could have won if you paired it correctly with Rory I'm not positive if you would have been blocked or not if you had done that but the thing with that fade is there are a lot of things that can happen there's a lot of uncertainty and as you said with Tiger gaining those strokes consistently round to round each tournament we learn a lot about Tiger because we just don't have a sample size so the sample size starts to grow even more and it really has been very impressive what he's done so it'll it'll be awesome to see what he does at the Masters. And we will have the Masters finish probabilities out by next week, I believe. We'll have them out early. Colin, do you know exactly what – I don't know exactly what day we're going to have them out, but I know we're going to have them out early. And we will have a promo for the Masters. You can actually use that now uh, at dailyroto.com slash premium. If you use promo code Augusta, you're going to get 10% off. Yeah, the Masters probabilities might be out later this week, but definitely by the time we pod next week, they should be out. And like you said, it's setting up to be an awesome tournament. I think um, DFS rooting interest aside, I kind of want Spieth to flash a little bit of form this weekend and maybe DJ uh, show some dominance, maybe Rom, because then, I mean, just so many of these guys have been playing good golf right now. Like You could arguably have 10 or 15 world-class golfers 
you know, that have been number one in the world or top five in the world over the past 18 months coming in with good form into the Masters. So that should be pretty fun. Um, this week, I, I thought we were going to have no DFS for a little bit. Now we got two events. So WGC match play, Corrales Championship and Punicana. We're going to go through both of those, probably spend um, the majority of the time on the match play tournament, but then definitely get into the other tournament as well towards the end. Yeah, and the WGC match, but you mentioned all these top golfers that are going to be in good form for the Masters. At least a bunch of them look like that. We get to see a bunch of them play this week in this WGC match play tournament. And Data Golf, which powers our projections, has a really cool uh, match play probabilities on their page at datagolf.ca. If you just hover over predictive model and click WGC match play, you get some really cool visuals and breakdowns of who can win the event. I think... People underestimate the randomness of this. You know, it's a March Madness style bracket uh, where each, well, it's a match, mar, match Madness style bracket column, but it starts out with group play. So it's not single elimination. Uh, you're going to have one golfer advance from each group, and then it's going to be a March Madness style bracket from there. So uh, you're going to have it whittled down to 16 golfers after group plays. We've got 16 different groups, and as I said, that cool match play visual that Data Golf has, you can look at the projected probabilities for each golfer winning the group, winning the event, and also what their match play probabilities look like against any of the individual golfers within their group. Yeah, it should be awesome. And they also put together the fantasy projections and downloadable file of the probabilities, which are available at dailyrotor.com for our subscribers. I think it's really hard to turn around a good fantasy product this week uh, just because it was a new game format. So the scoring is different and unlike anything that's been used before. And uh, it's hard to turn that stuff around with almost no notice. And the Data Golf guys did a great job. So I'm super excited about this week. Uh, I think between... You know, the match play with the new scoring format that rolled out and this Dominican event with, you know, a bunch of golfers that people aren't going to be used to playing or have heard of. I think it's really a good week to to use our product. And I think we're going to have uh, a pretty big edge in contest. There's also one really unique strategy element, which I don't want to get into too much on the podcast. But if you do want to go over and read about that in the pro tip. Uh, I think it's, you know, going to be another area in addition to having the projections that provides our subscribers an edge this week. So definitely make sure to check out the pro tip if you are a subscriber. Yeah, and there's a lot of variance in this week to week, like if, or not week to week, but just match to match and like what can happen. You look at Dustin Johnson, for example, who is our favorite to win the event. Uh, his chances of winning the group, though, are less than 50-50. So there's even more variance here than in a regular cut event, right, Colin? Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I, I'm, like, trying to wrestle with how to play it. Um, on one hand, you kind of have some of these unique strategy elements that I think will, will be good. And then on the other hand, you have the variance. And I think people still, you know, want to spend up for the top golfers. And usually on a normal week, maybe DJ is... 70, 80% to make the cut. And now, now he's 50% to get cut. So if he gets cut in the first rounds, like you're not winning with DJ in his lineup. So it, you could see a situation where maybe like 60% of the field loads up on, or, you know, two or three top golfers and probably 25% of the time that they run this event, both those guys get cut. So there could be some carnage. Yeah. And do you see as far as skills for this competition, you know, match play is unique. We don't have that very often. It's played more often in Europe. Do you have any uh, field behind, like, which guys are good at match play or if that's even a thing? Like, can you be 
that much better at match play than at stroke play. It does seem like there'd be some merit to that. Not from, you know, I'm not even thinking the mental side because I don't really buy into those narratives, but just in terms of score distributions for guys, that like that could have more of an effect on match play than on stroke play. Because obviously if you put up a big number one hole, you're losing one hole, but you're not dropping three, four strokes off the leader like you would in a regular tournament. Yeah, I sent out a tweet uh, at the end of last week. I had actually submitted and ended up winning one of the brackets for the 15th Club's hackathon last year. Uh, they're the European Golf Consultancy Group, and it specifically was looking at match play and how you would think about modeling match play because, like you said, the scoring di- distribution is different. So a triple or a double really penalizes you in stroke play, but in match play, you know, if someone else gets a birdie and you make a double like that's just a one hole loss whereas in stroke play you're all of a sudden you know nearly drawing dead against that person so um it definitely there's definitely some reason why you could think of you know people being specifically set up for match play i also think there's kind of the mental side of things that it's definitely one of those situations where we do have more data from the european tour golfers but to me it feels almost like bvp-esque as far as baseball and batter versus pitcher um, where, you know, some of these guys might have good records, but you don't haven't adjusted it for the quality of the competition. So you don't really know what their record should be. And then some of these other guys might have bad records in small samples. And so ultimately, I think it's probably a mistake to lean too heavily on any of the kind of match play specific individual head to head records that you might see out there. And like with BVP, the thing you're, you're not saying that it doesn't matter. What you're saying is we can't tell where it matters with the data we have available. So I think that's an important distinction to make. And that does make a lot of sense. So let's look at some of the groups though. The first group, we've got DJ with Adam Hadwin, Kevin Kisner, Bern Wolfsberger, and burned one of those Euro guys who, if you look at the percentage chance of winning the group of an underdog, after you get past DJ, all these guys are, you know, pretty close together. So that's an interesting upset pick there. Uh, do you have anything to add for this group? I mean, group one, I mean, I think you're kind of looking at DJ and he's one of the anchor plays. I think the kind of things that you're trying to figure out, I mean, DJ should win this group, right? And so you're trying to figure out, even if he does, is that going to be enough for his price, which is 11800 You know, if, if he advances, but he loses in the next round, like, um, what, and also like, what does it do to the rest of your roster? Because it is definitely different where, um, you obviously want a guy because of the way the scoring set up, you obviously want a guy who's going to win this event because they'll get to play seven rounds. Um, and so, you know, obviously if DJ wins, he's probably going to be on the winning roster, but uh, if, if he doesn't win, then is it really worth that price tag? So I think that's what you're trying to figure out. You know, obviously DJ is the favorite of this group. Um, I think he'll carry decently heavy ownership. I don't know if you, you have any uh, reads on it, I, but I feel like him and Rory will kind of carry similar levels of ownership. Yeah, with Rory, the way he played well last week, I think he's going to carry very high ownership. It's more difficult to get ownership projections this week because we've got the quick turnaround and just the way the event's set up. We've never really yeah. had an event for like, this. So we'll, we'll, we'll have them. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be up by this evening. And I think I feel, I feel decent about the way that they came together. Yeah. Uh, a couple, couple like areas where, you know, I have some concerns, but for the most part, as long as, you know, people are still kind of touting and stuff like that, I think it'll be a, a decent, you know, maybe a little bit worse than a normal week, but still pretty solid. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I do guess you can still do like the same systemic check on those that you do a normal week. Just make sure the salaries make sense relative to the, you know, the weighted salaries to against the ownership. So, uh, 
That's cool. I'm glad to hear that you're optimistic about those because I think I've found the last few weeks, especially, I feel like I found my groove a little bit in terms of taking our top 20 probabilities, comparing them with the ownership projections and finding really smart spots to make leverage stands. And this week, that's amplified. We've already talked about the variance quite a bit, but I mean, you even jump into group two, Justin Thomas, uh, you know, only a 38% chance we're looking at about to win this group. And I know he's thought of as a, a big DK score, but when you get into an event like this, uh, I think he's someone who might be overrated a little bit because it's a pretty decent group with Molinari and Luke List in there. Of course, Molinari is one of those guys that we're generally higher on than the field. And I'm checking our, and part of the reason for that is the data golf adjusted strokes gained the last two years have Molinari when you account for field strength, uh, course difficulty, and all of that. It's 15th best over two years uh, in terms of the long-term form. So he rates really well there, uh, even though recently he doesn't rate as strongly. If you're looking at long-term form, though, he's a you know a nice upset pick here. Yeah, I mean, I think when all is said and done, I probably won't have a ton of Justin Thomas at this uh, price. It's hard enough to make good DJ teams, um, and I, I don't know. Even like I probably I'm excited about MMAing this week, so I probably will make 150 teams for you know not maybe not the first time this year, but it's not something I do every week. Uh, but I think I'd rather squeeze some more DJ teams in and probably not end up with JT. I do think both Luke List and Molinari, when you look at the very early ownership projections. Um, and their odds to advance out of the group, I think they pop a tiny bit from a leverage perspective. And so um, probably not the the first guys I'm looking to for value at 7,200 and 7,300, but they'll probably get the, uh, as Slack likes to call it, the Oprah sprinkle. <laughs> you get you get some exposure. You get some exposure. Uh, group three, we've got John Rahm, Ches Revi, Keegan Bradley, Akira Desapi Barnrat, who our man Seabass in our Daily Roto Slack chat is a big fan of. Uh, unfortunately, we have him as the clear underdog in this group. Rom, I know uh, Drew had, had done something in Slack about how he felt like he played you know, too many events like right before the Masters last year and ended up getting pretty tired. So uh, he scaled back. I think he's not playing in the Shell Houston Open as a result. Uh, I don't know how much effect that has on this week particular, but I think that's an interesting note for the Masters that he might be going there a bit fresher than he did last year when he was really loaded up on a lot of tournaments early. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting note. I mean, Ron is clearly the favorite. Like, there are some groups we'll get to later that are close, maybe, but this isn't one of them. Like, Ron's the favorite to win this bracket. Uh, I think, you know, his, his price discount, I think he'll kind of carry, you know, 20-ish percent ownership at that price. Uh, seems like it's fair. Doesn't provide a ton of leverage um, compared to some of the other guys. But, um so, you know, I, I think he's kind of still in the conversation. I think uh, Ches Revy and Keegan Bradley maybe have a little bit of leverage in that super top-heavy 100K up top $5. Like, they might get the Oprah sprinkle, uh, but they're guys that I, I don't, you know, we don't have projected to go super far, and so it, it's more of the the hope to capture some positive variance than anything else. Group four, we've got Jordan Spieth, Patrick Reed, Charles Schwartzel, and Tong Lee. Uh, the the Reed Speed pairing. I know a lot of people are looking forward to this head to head matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think Patrick Reed's one of those guys that has the reputation of being a good match play player. Whether or not the data backs it up, I think obviously everyone saw him uh, with that match with the Rory, and so uh, that that's what kind of creates this uh, narrative. And it'll be it's interesting though. I mean, for Spieth, there's a lot of reasons for people not to play him. So I think Reed's going to end up being one of the more popular 
plays in that kind of mid 7K range because Spieth's form hasn't been great. People do need to find value somewhere, and uh, people are going to buy into that read match play narrative. So I think Patrick Reed is probably a reasonable, you know, he's a he's a reasonable value. I think Reed and Spieth are the guys I'd be looking to come out of this group, but I actually like Spieth the most from a DraftKings perspective as far as getting some leverage on the field because I do think that when it, it's all said and done, he's going to be one of the lower-owned golfers that are priced above 10K. And I think if if you know nothing from kind of the past month of DFS golf, it's that you are looking for opportunities to buy in on these world-class talents when you can get them at minimal ownership. Yeah, and Reed, that was the match that you did your uh, your – submission on right the read rory yeah yeah so i did like the whole kind of what the matchup projections were between the two of them at the beginning and then basically as like the event unfolded and holes passed by like obviously the odds change and so and as someone wins a hole and so it was kind of just a live view of that match and how it all unfolded yeah, that was really neat. Just so people know, for the Reed Spieth specific matchup, we've got Reed with about, or Data Golf, I should say, has Reed with about a 39% chance of winning it, uh, 52% chance of losing around a 10% chance of having it. Uh, going into Group 5, we've got Hideki Matsuyama, Patrick Cantley, Cameron Smith, and Yasaku Mizato. And I am... I'm really excited about Hideki at the Masters. Uh, I'm, you know, last year I went all in on Sergio as like this mid-tier guy that had this high-end upside, just was priced differently. That I didn't care if he was chalky. My early look at the Masters, I'm kind of feeling like Hideki could be that guy for me, not carrying a whole ton of hype, given that he missed some time with injury. But for this week specifically, the difficult part with uh, using Hideki in this group is just that we like Patrick Cantley quite a bit. Have him nearly as high of odds as Hideki to come out of this group. Yeah, and that's definitely going to be one of the battles. Um, I think that Cantley, from a value perspective, opens up a ton. Um, so uh, Matsuyama we have as the favorite, but it's a lot closer than the pricing difference would indicate. So especially in the smaller field GPPs, three max type formats, uh, Cantley is going to be a really strong play. Um, but obviously, like if the ownership gets high, it's still pretty early. If the ownership gets high, uh, you know, he's still like 65% chance not to advance out of the group. And so I think that's one of the things I'm really trying to figure out is, are there going to be guys who gather a ton of ownership or is it going to be pretty distributed? But definitely like Cantlay, uh, definitely think for like cash games and maximizing just your fantasy projections. He's a really strong play. I was a little surprised that I guess, you know, Hideki's team might must feel like his wrist is completely healed and he's ready to go because you know how much golf someone can play if they make a deep run here. So it seems surprising that, you know, with him just coming off of an injury, not even being able to play a couple weeks ago, that he'd be signing up for the match play uh, where you can play more golf in a week than anywhere else on tour. Yeah, I hate to, like, try and read into things too far because at the end of the day, I have no idea. But my reading between the lines with some of the Hideki quotes was that he really didn't want to come back until, you know, not only felt healthy, but felt like he was at a very competitive level. So I feel you know, that he's probably very healthy, as you said, and this is just another indication of that, that they probably wouldn't let him play in this event, and uh, he wouldn't make that decision if he wasn't at that level. But the interesting with a, a you know a value like Cantley, like let's say you have him by far the best value. If you're in a no-cut event or even a regular cut event, and you've got someone who's just way underpriced, you know, there's so many routes for them to make their value, whether it's placing well or just making the cut and, you know, having birdies over the weekend and whatnot adding to their scoring total 
it's such a different dynamic this week where based on your odds to come out of a group, you might project as by far the best value, but it's still going to be very, very binary in terms of outcomes. Yeah, it's, it's definitely crazy. It, it's, I mean, I'm having so much fun. Like, I talk to me at the end of the day Wednesday, and I'll tell you if I'm still <laughs> having fun. But I'm having fun right now with thinking about it all and putting together the teams. Um, and definitely think the next group's going to be one of those interesting ones where Group Six, anchored by Rory, uh, Brian Harmon, Jonathan Vegas, Peter Uline in that group. So uh, Rory should command almost all the ownership in that group, with maybe some people going down to Brian Harmon. Uh, what, what are you thinking about group number six? Yeah, I think the interesting thing with Rory is I feel like he's played worse than he probably has the last year. And that might, that's just DFS bias where he, you know, and of course I did the same thing I did with Kevin Nam, Bubba Watson earlier this year. I finally said this past week, okay, this is the week where I'm just going to match the field on Rory. I'm going to stop going overweight after he was one of my highest owned golfers the previous week and missed the cut. And, you know, he, of course he wins. Um, so that was frustrating, but if you look at his adjusted strokes gained for last year, he's 17th in the world is what Data Golf has him at. So, no, he hasn't been at the top of his game, but it's not like he's been as bad as it probably seems to people who play DFS consistently because there's a big difference between your DFS viability at certain price tags and how well you're actually playing. Uh, uh, but with all of that said... Uh, it does seem like he might carry too much ownership because of what happened last week, a group that probably looks somewhat soft at the outset. Um, and I think w- when you put that all together, he's not going to be you know, one of my higher-owned golfers. I think at 10K, people are going to see that, see what he did last week, see the group, and try and own a lot of them. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, it, from a leverage perspective, I definitely prefer Spieth, especially in that top-heavy $5, 100K up top. So I think I'd be looking for that. Um, I think he's he's a fine play. I'm, I'm sure I'll end up with a little bit in MME, but probably won't be a core play. Uh, one of the guys I think will be a core play for me in all formats is Sergio Garcia, who at 8900 we have as uh, like a really strong favorite to advance from this group that includes Xander Schauffele, Shubhankar Sharma, probably did not say that right, and Dylan Fratelli. I think it's actually a home game for Fratelli. I believe he went to UT uh, and played on that same team with Jordan Spieth. But Sergio we have as a big favorite, 40% to get out of his group, which is similar to the other studs like Rory and Spieth. Just $8,900 price tag. Feels like we're getting a good opportunity to buy on Sergio. Yeah, Sharma is one of those guys where it's it's difficult to tell you know, how good the data we have on him is, if, if maybe it's just my bias, how well he's played recently at some of the events. But uh, I'm with you on Sergio. We have him with the same odds or better as some of the really, really expensive golfers. So uh, best play in that group. Then we go over to group eight. We've got Jason Day, James Hahn, Jason Duffner, and Louis Oosthuizen. Uh, I'm surprised that we have Louis there as sort of the carrying the, the back of the bunch in terms of uh, the expected odds of coming out of this group, but that's just because it's very, very level after you get past day who we have uh, with about a, you know, a two fifths chance of coming out of this group. Yeah. It seems like a lot of these, um, at least the first ones that we've covered with, you know, day Rory, Spieth and co and Sergio, you kind of get like the 40% chance to advance is really what we're looking at. It seems like Dave checks in there. Uh, definitely a split group behind it with Ustaisen, Duffner, and Han, kind of all projecting equally. Um, 
you know, my, my gut was a little uh, more aligned with like thinking, I thought like Ustazen or Duffner would pull out a little bit ahead. But, you know, I, and at this point, I've kind of learned that you got to trust the data. And I think if Han is similar to Ustazen and Duffner, I think kind of fewer people are going to go to him for value. And uh, he is going to provide a lot of leverage in the 20% of the time that he does advance. So uh, one of the things I'm trying to do when I built, put together my teams is make sure that I don't have too many of these low probability guys in the same squad. But Han seems like a guy that, based on the leverage, would be an interesting uh, sprinkle. Yeah, and Day does project initially to be pretty highly owned, which makes sense because uh, $9,200 price tag there, very, very strong for Day. And another one of those guys, when we mentioned at the top of the show, all these guys in pretty good form heading into the Masters. Day, I know he didn't do as well in, in the last event, but he had a second-place finish and a first-place finish already this year. So that, that'll be a lot of fun. And we get into Group 9, and this looks to be one of the tougher groups, uh, or at least one of the groups with more balanced probabilities of coming out of here alive. And Tommy Fleetwood leads the group followed by Daniel Berger, Kevin Chappell, and Ian Poulter. And Fleetwood, Berger, Chappell, that's a pretty strong top three for a group. Yeah, I mean, Fleetwood, Berger, Chappell, and then Poulter has uh, one of the best match play records um, in, in golf history, I believe. So I think that's one of the guys that is going to get ownership based on all the, um, you know, the circles that do like to look into the match play specific stuff heavily. And it's tough to put together teams this week. It's, it's a very unique structure, but it's pretty tough to put together teams. You can't grab favorites from every group. And so Poulter seems like one of those guys that could become a trendy value pick. Um, personally, I would prefer, you know, going with Burger Chapel or Fleetwood. I, I think that the odds of Poulter advancing, uh, per, Data Golf's model compared to his ownership is going to make him one of the worst plays in the field. Uh, and that means that if I'm going to go with this group at all, that it will probably end up being, you know, Berger and Chapel. Um, I think there are better values up high than Fleetwood, even when you consider his possibly low ownership percentage. So all, all things said and done, this will be interesting because I'll probably end up with Berger, Chapel a little bit and the rest of it might end up kind of fading group nine. Yeah. And then I'm probably overthinking it, but I look at Fleetwood, I see the low ownership and you know, part of the reason why his value is going to be driven down is because of the difficulty of getting out of this group. But if you're playing in a GPP, you know whether he gets out of this group, losing round two, you know it doesn't matter. You're looking at the chance to get into the finals. So his, I guess what I'm saying is, if he does get out of the group, once he gets out of the tough group, is his path that much tougher than anyone else's? I know, yeah, you have, like you, ha- you obviously have to take that into consideration. But in like when you're just thinking of the high end outcome, I, I don't know. Yeah, and the, the David Golf uh, probabilities that you can download over at Daily Roto or view on their site uh, in the fantasy projections kind of factor that in and factor in the expected number of holes that somebody's going to play. And so uh, I do think that there is some merit there. Fleetwood is against that Ustais and Duffner Han group where it's kind of super balanced in all those groups. You don't have any uh, really weak players. So you're not getting like an easy – and that's part of what makes those groups a little bit less attractive to me. Uh, outside of obviously Day's success here in the past and the fact that he's one of the top golfers in the world, he could go on a pretty deep run, but you're not really getting any easy matches. So obviously, um, you're hoping that your guy is just going to get out of the group, but you'd love it if he could sweep the group and go three and oh. It seems really tough to go three and oh out of that Fleetwood Burger Chapel Poulter group or that Day Ustais and Duffner Han group. You're not really getting any easy outs there. Yeah, that's a good point. And as we go into group 10, uh, Colin, who is the who do you think is number one for Data Golf in uh, their adjusted strokes game formula over the past year? 
<laughs> it's got to be Paul Casey. Paul Casey, their guy, uh, he came through for us with a victory a couple weeks ago. He's becoming the poster child for Data Golf and Daily Roto golf product here but another guy we've got you know right at that 40 percent barometer that we're looking at and uh, of the guys that we have that 40 percent barometer you know he he's the cheapest of them so he's another really interesting choice i do think uh just my initial instinct is that he's going to carry more more ownership than sergio will who's priced pretty similarly and also kind of near that marker yeah, and I, I really like uh, both. I mean, it, to me, like the value of them is just not that it's secure, but the feeling that it's secure for them to get out of their groups. So Casey's with Matthew Fitzpatrick, Russell Henry, Kyle Stanley. Obviously, these are still strong golfers, and Casey still is only 40% to advance. But at his price, um, and even with a modest amount of ownership, it still feels like a good play. Uh I know it's a, a little bit conflicting. I know Sergio is definitely your boy. Casey's data golf's boy. And it looks like they would meet up in the next round. So uh, Casey, though, seems like a really strong play uh, for cash games. Seems like someone I'm going to end up being overweight on in tournaments uh, with a lot of the ownership getting distributed. Maybe he'll check in around 20%. And I'm definitely still comfortable jamming him at that price. And then the next few groups we've got coming up here all look to be pretty balanced at least among the top three or so in group 11 we've got mark leishman brandon grace bubba watson julian surrey surrey we've got dragging behind a little bit group group 12 we've got terrell haddon charlie hoffman brandon Steele, and alexander levy uh no one there above 30 percent chance of winning the group group 13 relatively balanced as well with alex noren uh my boy tony finau kevin na and then thomas peters we have projected pretty low but i know he he had a pretty Strong performance at the Ryder Cup, if I'm not mistaken, that had had people pretty excited. So groups 11 through 13, a bit more balanced than some of the other groups we've seen so far. Yeah, definitely some pretty balanced groups. Uh, I think one of my favorite plays in the entire slate is definitely Brandon Grace at the $7,300 price tag in Group 11. Uh, not, you know, not an easy group necessarily by any means, but it seems like he is right up there with Leishman as far as the favorite for that group and carries like a $1,500 or so discount. So, uh, I'm playing some cash games this week. I'll probably play Grace in those, probably get exposure to Grace and some three max type stuff. Definitely like him. Uh, Leishman seems like he provides a lot of leverage as far as one of the, falling in that mid price range where people are going to go to, you know, the, the Casey's or Sergio's and they're not really going to end up going to Leishman. And so, uh, if he does get out of the group and he, he wins a couple rounds, then I think, you know, that's one of the stronger leverage plays. Uh, were there any kind of value plays that stuck out to you? Uh, what, from a leverage perspective, I think Alex Noren's interesting. He's obviously, you know, a bit more expensive, but part of the reason that he's going to be a good leverage play is because of uh, the difficulty of the group, how much people like Tony Finau. People do like Thomas Peters, even though we have him lagging behind. And I think the ownership of this group in general might be down, and then within those guys could be kept down. So I think Noren's a nice leverage play. Maybe not necessarily like your best straight per dollar value, but from a leverage perspective, uh, I'm high on Noren. Yeah, and it's going to be fun sweating these. You get like the full, you know, Wednesday experience and then 
you have kind of like the reset where you're going to be pulling up your lineups and trying to figure out like which ones are still alive. Um, and that'll be good. I think Charlie Hoffman's another one of the value plays that I really like, um, kind of in the group 12 with Terrell Haddon, Brendan Steele, Alex Levy. I don't, I don't think he's the favorite of the group, but I think it's kind of close enough to a pick em that the price and discount you get on him is pretty good. Uh, probably the, the toughest group, the one I don't really know what to do with is Phil Mickelson, Rafa, Charles Howell, and Satoshi Kadera. Yeah, that's a very interesting group. I know RCB is someone that we've generally been higher on than the market, but you can say that about Phil Mickelson too, at least maybe until recently uh, with his victory and all the steam that he's been getting. So it is another group too where, and maybe more so than any other group, where it's not necessarily super balanced in the top three, uh, but we do have a fourth guy in Codera who we've got projected pretty far behind, which keeps all the top three guys, you know, with a relatively high projection to advance. You know, we've got Howell, uh, the worst of the top three, but with still a 25% chance to advance. So there's all sorts of game theory you can really talk yourself into um, with, with as you can start to visualize as we're talking about this. It's just like the extreme variance of the group. But uh, what, who I'm interested in a lot in this next group, though, is Pat Perez, who we have uh, with a 32% chance of advancing. He's just $8,400. Uh, he seems to be one of those good mid-tier values. And I do think a very balanced approach looks like a smart one, potentially, for cash games. Uh, just given that, as we noted, even the top of the top guys you know, there's a, a two and five chance that they're going to be axed completely. So I think you can get a, your total probability of getting guys through the group a bit higher if you go more balanced. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think like one, putting together one lineup, I probably wouldn't start with DJ, even though he's the overwhelming favorite, just because it does makes you do some weird things with the rest of your lineup. Um, the Phil group is going to be an interesting one. Just the the winner of that, I know Phil and RCB, the winner of that will face Rom's group. So you get a either a Spain on Spain duel or the the Phil versus Rom duel, which would be pretty interesting given the situation with Phil's brother. Uh, the Prez Woodland Simpson group, I think you can make an argument for either of those three guys uh, being you know the the favorite to come out of it. It's all pretty close in the data golf model. And I think because of that, you're going to get uh, pretty distributed in, in low ownership groups. It's going to be interesting. Just I expect things to condense kind of on the ownership where it seems like there's one kind of clear-cut favorite, and that's just by default going to leave these kind of pick-em groups a little bit uh, under-owned for the tournaments. So uh, I, in, in general, I imagine like I won't load up on either of those guys, um, but they, they do face the Justin Thomas group. And I don't know if I'll have a ton of Thomas, and so trying to bank on you know either Perez, Woodland, or Simpson to possibly sneak through into like the Sweet 16 or the quarterfinals, uh, I think would be you know like an area where I'd probably match the market maybe on each of these guys. Going into the final group, we get one of probably the best sub 7K play at least before you take into account ownership, just from uh, expectation standpoint and a salary standpoint. Zach Johnson. Uh, slightly, we have him as the leader, pretty much in line, though, a toss-up between him and Matt Kuchar to come out of this group, followed by Ross Fisher, and then finally Yuda Ikeda down low uh, to round out this group. But just $6,800 for Zach Johnson, uh, that's somebody that's probably going to carry a lot of ownership. But if you did go a bit heavier studs and duds in a cash game type format, he seems to be like a pretty good match for that roster build. Yeah, I mean, Zach Johnson, I think, is the best play on the slate, all things considered, uh, just purely from a expectation perspective. Made him the cover boy on our pro tip this week. He's tied with Kuchar in the probability model for data golf, 
and um, he's fifteen hundred dollars cheaper. So just th- that much type of price discount is going to be really tough to pass up when you're not worried about ownership. I think one of the things I'm trying to figure out is like how you know it, are other groups like ours thinking about this tournament, and are a lot of people talking about Zach Johnson as well, or is this something where people are having a tough way kind of working their themselves through the process because the the format is so new that he'll still carry like a low-ish ownership. Um, He's only 30% to get out of the round, right? So, like, how do you think about that if he ends up maybe as the chalkiest player on the slate? I think you fade him in tournaments or at least take an underweight. But, again, I feel like I've channeled my inner contrarian these past couple of weeks, and I I like the teams I've been spitting out where I've been spitting out an MME much more balanced teams in terms of my exposures with the exception of maybe some expensive guys that I like with very high T20 odds. I've been having, you know, a lot of guys in the 15 to 20%, 10 to 20% ownership range where I'm naturally underweight on some chalk and naturally overweight on some guys who aren't as chalky. And that, that's probably the way I'll look at it this week, just with the huge amount of variance, uh, depending on where the final ownership projections go. But let's, uh, we've only got about 15 minutes left. So let's start talking about the Corrales Championship in Punta Cana. Obviously, it's a very weak field. We get Tony Romo in the field, uh, which is pretty crazy to, to think about. It's a bomber's course. And we, you know, the value of, the data golf projections on dailyroto.com and why we think there's an edge here this week is because they have all this data from the Euro tour, the web.com tour and the PGA tour data that they can mix together and they can, you know, translate those scores into a model that basically standardizes everything and lets us compare appropriately these guys. So I'm looking forward to playing this, even though I'm sure I'll take some golfers that I've never heard of before. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely one of the things that that sets up for a fun week is we get the the Wednesday sweat, we get to build some more lineups Wednesday, then we get to lock in two sweats on Thursday. Um, you can he can tilt enter the late Thursday slate for golf if you want to, but I think the value of the data golf products is really going to shine this week between the match play projections that we have and the uh, data golf probabilities and fantasy stuff for the EuroWeb.com and PGA Tour Incorporated tonight. I think the top end is going to be pretty easy for people to, to sift through. It's a bunch of guys that they're relatively familiar with. Miliano Grillo is definitely the favorite, deservedly so, in this group, but he's expensive, and I think his top 20 odds are maybe 60% or so to T20, and sometimes we'll see guys a little bit higher than that if they're priced up as high as he is. Yeah, it's still a very, very high number for him. Um, I do have to ask you, Tom, before we get too much in the good place, are you going to play Tony Romo at all? <laughs> no, I think I saw Romo had uh, like a 75.5 was the over-under for his score. So seems like that's probably uh, probably not a, not even good for a GPP play, not even the Oprah Sprinkle for Tony Not Romo. even the Oprah Sprinkle. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, I might make one out of 150 Tony Romo lineups just because, you know, I like to throw my money away on things. You know, we've had this Jeff Janis conversation in the playoffs before. You haven't so. lost enough money <laughs> to the Cowboys? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I haven't lost enough money on him. I have to continue uh, losing money on him. But as you mentioned, Grio uh, is the favorite in this tournament, followed by Jim Furyk, who's got strong long-term form, but the uh, short-term form not as good, uh, dealt with, I believe it was a wrist injury he had last year, has worked his way back from that and been okay. But uh, obviously uh, there's still some uncertainty exactly where his true skill level lies and 
if you're paying a lot for a golfer, you generally like to see someone who's going to make a whole ton of birdies out there, which isn't necessarily Furyk's forte. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if anyone in this field can call yeah. birdie making their forte, or they might not That's be in this true. field. <laughs> but <laughs> I see, I see what your point, and I think in general, um, part of the reason I don't see myself loading up on like Grillo or Furyk is just like the pricing and the. There's no value in the $7,000 range. I mean, you joke about Tony Romo, but like there, there's guys who are worse than Romo down there. So I, it just seems like below $7,000, you are not going to get a lot that you like. Uh, so I'll probably dodge that range and probably go a little bit more balanced. Uh, one guy that popped a lot in the probability is that I, I was not, um, I'd never heard of before, to be quite honest, but maybe some of the European tour fantasy players had was Sung Soo Han, world number 85, in pretty good form on the European tour right now. And so that was a guy that um, initially pinged my radar because of, I, like, I followed golf really closely and I hadn't heard of him and, it was a guy that I imagine that even in this field, uh, he'll carry low ownership and he projects quite nicely. All right. Um, Patrick Rogers at 10 K is, you know, a bomber up there. It is a bomber's course. We do have him top five in terms of win probability. Uh, of course, though, a pretty big drop off after Grio and whatnot. Is he someone that you could see making his way into lineups where? You're obviously going to save 1600 from Griot, and then maybe you still don't have to dip into too much of those shaky 7K guys and stick with, like, the 8K-ish guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, like, neutral, Sabatini, Rogers, McDowell. Like, they're all kind of similar to me. Um, it, I, like, if I, I don't know how many teams I'll build, maybe three to six for this, and so I'll probably have a little bit of each of those three guys. But I do like the, the thought of going with some of those balanced contrarian lineups because the field is, um, you know, so weak at the bottom, and there's some decent names in the middle. So, I, I mean, I think someone like Robert Garrigus, I think, projects nicely. And uh, another guy that played a lot last year, hasn't been in quite as good form this year, but carries an $8,000 price tag in a really soft field, is Kevin Tway. So um, I'm kind of leaning on the probability models a little bit more this week, just with some of that web.com and Eurotour data baked in for some of these guys. Um, and I'm also going to care less about ownership uh, just because I think it's going to be really hard to project. I think people are going to play the names that they recognize, and I think people are only going to tout the names that they recognize. So um, it's going to be hard to come up with like good ownership projections for the Dominican event. And so because of that, I'll probably just, um, I don't want to make a mistake and factor something in that I don't necessarily trust. And so I'll probably just lean heavily on the probability models and top 20 odds. That makes sense. I do think that you already said you like going more contrarian and balanced anyways, and that given that people are going to play the names that they like, you're going to see a lot of people jump to Grio. I wouldn't be surprised to see him pretty high owned, despite the fact that it's tough to build some teams around him. Tway, just for reference, uh, is third in this field in the data golf adjusted strokes gained over the past year. So, uh, he hit that sweet spot there for a little bit where his two-year stuff's just outside the top 10 and his six-month stuff's just outside the top 10. So he hasn't been playing as strong super recently, as you mentioned, but he did have a span there uh, that's captured in the one-year data where he was playing really, really well. Uh, so he right now has about a 77% chance to make the cut, according to our probabilities. Uh, Colin, as we continue to make our way down the list, any other guys in this 8K tier that you you know feel particularly strongly about? I think it's hard to feel particularly strongly <laughs> about anybody, but 
you're going to kind of gravitate to like a David Lingmurth. I think um, really it's pretty easy for me to filter the player pool with the work that Data Golf's done for us. And so first thing I do really, uh, especially in a field like this, is clip out anybody who doesn't really have a 20% uh, chance to finish within the within the top 20 of the projections. And so that immediately is going to kind of narrow your player pool down a bit and kind of force you to go a little bit more balanced, I think, this week. It, it's not always the case. Some of the weeks where I, I know the players in, comfortably, I can kind of pick on some DK scores and uh, try to find some guys from there. But I think that immediately kind of takes your player pool down to like 40 or so guys, and you can start to mix and match from the different price ranges. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, it, it is difficult to have those strong personal opinions on guys and you just don't know a lot about them. And I think that's where you, you know, you mentioned this earlier in the show, but you're talking about trusting the data. And I think this is one of those weeks where you really have to trust the data. I do think um, as far as balance, like not only balance in terms of salary, but in terms of if I'm MMEing, I'm probably not going to be super heavy on, on particular guys as well, you know, just given the uncertainty that we're talking about. I'd rather have, you know, data golf help me narrow down my player pool so that I'm playing the guys. I'm basically eliminating all the bad plays, uh, and, but then within those guys that I might not have super strong feelings on, I'm not forcing myself to go really heavy on any single guy, and then I can just spread out among the non-bad plays after I've eliminated all of the bad plays. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, I think we got like five minutes left on the pod. Um, wanted to see what, if you had any initial thoughts on the Masters pricing. I know DraftKings released that. We're going to try to get our probabilities out. So really curious next week to see who Data Golf has as the favorite. It's going to be quite the dilemma. Tiger Woods is $10,000 in that field. It feels like between we saw Tiger 35% owned at the same price last week. Obviously, the Masters field will be a little bit stronger, but it's also going to be a lot more public money in there. How, how do you feel like Tiger Woods is going to end up ownership-wise in the Masters? And are you going to have to full fade Tiger Woods and Augusta and be the only person <laughs> in America rooting against him down the back nine on Sunday? Uh, I, I don't know. I, it, it depends how I build my teams. Like if I do something like I did last year where I went all in on Sergio Garcia, if it, like I see Hideki right away, 8,400. And that sticks out to me as like a guy that will certainly carry ownership, but maybe not be as chalky as he should. If I go like all in and I make that heavy of a stance at that point, I want a piece of all the guys that are like top 10 to 15 in win probability of at least like 5 to 10%. Um, I want to be very spread out because I'm taking this huge stance elsewhere that I don't need. You know, the whole idea is I hit on Hideki and then I find, you know, the optimal lineup somewhere in there. Uh, in which case, yeah, I'll probably end up underweight on Tiger Woods, but I don't think I'll, I'll be compelled to full fade him. Now, if I take a more, you know, balanced contrarian approach where I'm just picking up leverage on the field here and there, then I may bring myself to more of a conversation where, okay, if I full fade Tiger and he's, you know, 35 plus percent owned, if he finishes outside the top five, as far as, you know, Millie Maker, very high end purposes, I feel like I've wiped out 35% of the field in terms of they can't win the tournament with him. Most likely, if he finishes outside the top five, I'm uh, maybe not. The pricing's kind of loose, but yeah, it's pretty. But, it's but, definitely loose this week you, for the Masters. You follow me though, like like even if you say top ten, not top five, finish outside the top ten, um, and then I'm picking up all these because I'm not playing him. Not only uh, 
am I eliminating some of the field by picking up all these extra chances to own other guys? Uh, so it will be interesting. I'm really interested to see where the ownership projections lie. But uh, as I said, too, how, you know, process-wise, I really felt like last week the full fade on him was merited. And it was a mixed bag in terms of results. But part of that was we still had more uncertainty with Tiger as we continue to get more rounds. And, you know, Nelson's tweet about how, He's had 12 consecutive rounds where he's picked up strokes on the field and nobody else is even close to that. You know, as we get more information like that, we can assess him better. Uh, and the risk, I think, changes, the uncertainty changes, and then the way I'm evaluating that changes, if that makes sense. So part of the reason for the fade last week was, okay, maybe he's back, but like there's still a good deal of uncertainty. And I think you know, you're not going to throw that theory out the window because of four rounds, but uh, when you start to get something extreme where he just continues to pick up strokes gain on the field week after week, you know, your evaluation of it does adjust yeah. and it should. Yeah. It's definitely a little bit more of a complete picture versus, uh, you know, the, the unknown, I guess. And I think, you know, what you're saying makes sense. If you do take such a huge stand elsewhere, then you've kind of already differentiated. Um, I can think you could think about that similarly to the match play um, with, you know, you can still play a chalky golfer like Zach Johnson, but you, if you're going to do that, uh, then you probably want to differentiate in your other roster spots. And so, like, that's where you'd be looking at uh, someone like Spieth or, you know, trying to find these other low-owned guys to pair up with him just because rosters that start with Dustin Johnson and Zach Johnson, Johnson and Johnson, uh, are going to be pretty popular builds, I would imagine. Yeah, I think that's definitely a way to do it. Um any other things from, you know, very initial Masters pricing that catches your eyes? I see some, you know, I, I'm going to... Yeah, I mean, like, Ro- like Justin Rose was the guy that was, I guess, my version of Hideki, where I saw him. Uh, he's probably going to be one of the four or five favorites, uh, you know, top tens in eight of his last ten events. So coming in to the Masters with really good form, and it's a place that he's been close a couple times. And so he's even been close some of the times he's played coming right off an of injury, uh, so I think, um, you know, he's definitely a guy that feels really underpriced uh, and has, you know, the the form and the course history here, as well as just the overall pedigree. So him and Casey feel like, I mean, you could do some crazy builds if you were oh to fade, God. like, the entire top, you know. Crazy. Well, like, Stenson is sub 8K, <laughs> and, he just, and he just played well. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think it'll, it'll be really interesting. I mean, you could you could drop like five hundred, a thousand dollars in the salary on the t- of salary on the table and still put together some pretty good teams. But yeah, there's um, there's no way in a million maker I spend more than forty nine seven on a team with how loose this pricing is and how top heavy that tournament is. There's just no way I'm doing it. I don't think. Um, I already know Bryson's going to give me fits uh, because he he's one of those guys that. You know, came in with a lot of hype, had some success early on, then was kind of a disaster for a decent stretch, and now all of a sudden he's had some a couple of high end results. So, uh, and, and I don't know if the data is going to be fully caught up with him, where I'm going to have to make some manual adjustments there. That I'm, I, I'm already worried about that one. Yeah, I think the the Zach Johnson fade is not just a conversation for this week. It, it, the you know how to handle it. It definitely seems like it'll be a conversation for the Masters too. Obviously, a former champion there, guy who's such a steady cut maker. He's seven thousand dollars. Like as you get kind of into the value range, he's one of the names that just jumps out as kind of grabbing up like twenty percent ownership. And uh, isn't that a guy that you typically think of as fitting Augusta well? But obviously, whenever someone has won there, it's gonna you know they're they're gonna carry some ownership with that. Bryson's definitely. It seems like. 
you know, kind of when you think back to maybe how Justin Thomas and Daniel Berger were for a little while at the start of their careers, he kind of feels like that same type of thing where he's flashing that upside, uh, but he's also having some of those rounds where he misses the cut. So I'm, I'm really interested to see kind of ownership projections for the Masters and how all that shakes out before making any decisions. All right, and if you want to get a early look at Masters stuff, go to dailyroto.com slash premium. Use promo code Augusta 